Welcome to Michigan in Focus, powered by the Center Square and a production of America's Talking Network. I'm Bruce Walker, Midwest Regional Editor of the Center Square. To support great podcasts like this one, please donate by clicking the link in the show description. I'm talking today with my guest, Scott McClellan, who is the Michigan correspondent for the Center Square. And we're recording this podcast on Scott. What is the date today? It is uh, October 6th, and it's also Bruce's birthday. Right on. I know the check is in the mail, so or, or do you need me to Venmo that to you? Uh, it checks in the mail. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. So how are things going for you? Doing great. Going well for me thus far today, other than the fact that uh, a computer company told me that my computer that I bought less than a year ago was out of warranty and that they would charge me $100 more than what I actually paid for it to fix it and send it back to me. So, yeah, so I'm not a happy camper on that. But you know what? You don't want to mess with the person who slings words for a living. (laughs) We ink-stained wretches can get a little peevish when things like that happen. Well, let's get started with uh, this Michigan in Focus podcast, Scott. And on the agenda, we have a story that I wrote yesterday. What we have here is still our top trending story, which is kind of interesting. There's a Michigan election software company based out of East Lansing and Okemos, and it is called Connect, K-O-N-N-E-C-H, Inc. And uh, the founder and president is Eugene Yu, and he was arrested Wednesday in Michigan um, after an investigation from the Los Angeles District Attorney, Los Angeles County in California. Uh, This company, what it does is um, they manufacture software and they sell it to communities who use it to track payroll and assignments for election workers. And the specific contract that it has with Los Angeles County says that they're going to store this information on the cloud somewhere in the United States or someplace where that is accessible only by Michigan or United States residents and citizens. Uh, As it turns out, allegedly, I don't know this for a fact, and it has not been verified uh, through other sources other than the LA district attorney. I I tried calling the East Lansing Police Department and they refused to talk about it. But uh, what they said was, uh, you know what, they were storing this information in China. And in the People's Republic of China, you may not be aware of this, they lay claim to all data within its borders. So uh, this has kind of blown up. So um, the New York Times did an interesting story on this, and they, they made a connection with True the Vote. Now, the L.A. District Attorney, L.A. County District Attorney, said that uh, True the Vote had nothing to do with this and that these are totally unrelated. But they made the claim, and the New York Times quoted this, They made the claim, again, unsubstantiated, that they were able to hack the server in the People's Republic of China and get all of the election workers 
information. And they didn't do this for the for criminal purposes, just to show that uh, this information was easily hacked uh, from the United States. And also, you know, they put forth the proposition to quote Jim Morrison that this was the default password for the connect server in the People's Republic of China. You want to know what it was? What was it? Password? One, two, three. You got it. it. Password. Yep. P-A-S-S-W-O-R-D. So uh, now that is information that was in the New York Times. And because I can't substantiate that, uh, you know, True the Boat can make all the claims on the planet that they want to. But I'm a doubting Thomas when when it comes to these things. It's just that I sort of kind of need to see ample proof to kind of get me over the hump of disbelief on this one. So anyway, that's that's what happened. Now, the 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 funny thing about uh, Connect is that they their expansion in Michigan, which is where they were founded in the late 1990s, uh, was touted as being a wonderful thing for the state of Michigan. Um, they had actually thought about packing their bags and moving their entire organization out to California, but they got substantial money from the Michigan Economic Development Corporation and uh, about $306,000 with the promise of creating 51 jobs and building or instituting their new headquarters in East Lansing, Michigan. So uh, this turned out to be uh, this company that was, you know, touted as being one of the the great new things that shows that Michigan is that is putting Michigan on the map. It's one of the 50 small businesses that uh, were winning awards and MEDC has connect on its website as a success story. And in turn, connect has the MEDC stories on its website. So I found all of this to be really kind of interesting. And uh, you had mentioned uh, John Mazina last week, who uh, is a pretty up to speed guy on what's happening with the MEDC. Uh, he's pretty much, uh, you know, he, he's like Groucho Marx and uh, whatever it is that MEDC does, it seems like he's against it. And well, Mozina told me yesterday that he was reminded of a story by Richard, uh, Richard Short. And um, you're probably either in college or high school when this was going on. This was back in 2010. Uh, this was a former governor, Jennifer Granholm, was on television giving this guy a $91 million green job state subsidy in March of 2010. And it was televised. It was, you know, this renewable resource. And the name of the, his company was Rasco, and, which was renewable something, something thing. And anyway, so as he is receiving this giant check from the governor in 2010, another individual happened to see it on television. And that other individual was Richard Short's parole officer (laughs) who saw him receiving the funding on the television news and reported Short in violation of his parole because uh, you have to report things like that to your parole officer. And he did not. And in the meantime, uh, the MEDC did a little bit of background in, 
investigation afterwards and discovered that Short had submitted fraudulent information on his application saying that he would be the recipient of a large family trust. And no one bothered to dig around in the background on this to find out what the heck was going on, if it was actually true or not. They just took him at his word. So this is what Mozina told me. He said, the MEDC call what they're doing investing, but any legitimate investment advisor in the private sector would conduct due diligence or risk being fined, sued, or end up in jail. Now, as this applies to Eugene Yu, I'm not really sure, but it does lead you to believe that perhaps maybe a little bit more due diligence on the part of the MEDC should have been performed. Maybe that's what happens when you have to pay f- to keep jobs in the state, pay businesses actively not to leave the state. Uh, I think uh, I think you are making Mozina's point even more clear, Scott. So thank you on that. So we've got some information from Flint, my hometown, but you have kind of taken this over as your beat, and I I appreciate your doing so, and I think you're doing a bang-up job on it, Scott. The Flint water crisis from 2015 keeps raising its ugly head, and a couple of, well, one story in particular stands out from this week, and uh, it begged a follow-up story. So I'll let you uh, grab the microphone and, and run with this one. I attended a Zoom press conference for Wayne County Prosecutor Kim Worthy and reacting uh, to several felony charges against state officials related to the Flint water crisis being dismissed. So we are right here about eight years after the crisis became public and taxpayers have spent more than $53 million on the trial. Holy cats. That's not on the prosecution thereof, or is is this also payouts to people who are uh, victimized by this? I I don't believe that includes the pits because that's on the civil civil side. I, I believe this is the criminal side. But the uh, the dismissal follows a June Michigan Supreme Court ruling it unconstitutional to use a one man jury to indict people without a preliminary examination. But on Wednesday, Wayne County Prosecutor Kim Worley defended her use of the one man jury. Uh, However, she did not reveal the next moves. She said, quote, we do not rush to judgment. We do not make quick decisions. Worley said that she agreed to take the case. Uh, because, quote, the injustices were massive, a city was poisoned. Well, um, indeed it was. I I mean, I have close family members who were in that part of Flint that was had some contaminated water and uh, that that's un, uncontestable. So um, do you have any background information on this? I mean, former Governor Rick Snyder was a a defendant in a civil case, what, what's going on with him? Uh, he's charged with misdemeanors. So the misdemeanors are being handled by a separate court. So we're going to have to wait and see. This ruling was specifically for felony charges against uh, about seven state officials. Right. And I, I have their names and positions right here mm-hmm. that uh, that you put in your story. Uh, Nick Lyon, who is the former state health director. Eden Wells, who is the former state medical executive. Richard Baird and Jared Agent, as well as former Flint Emergency Manners, Gerald Ambrose and Darnell Early, and former State Health Department employee, 
Nancy Peeler. So, uh, yeah, uh, so the prosecuting attorney, uh, Kim Worthy, who has uh, who had a stellar record when she was uh, working in southeast Michigan. Uh, she's going to get another bite at the apple at, at this. And, and, and is the attorney general involved in any of these as well? Or is that uh, uh, the separate cases? Uh, Worthy is still leading the case uh, instead of the attorney general. But uh, it's it's unclear. Uh, Worthy said that she they the team will continue to fight for the people of Flint. So it's unclear exactly how she plans to proceed. But I mean... In, in the state's trial for the Flint water crisis, they've seen setback after setback. Uh, in September, a judge denied Attorney General Dana Nessel's appeal of a decision that she must use a taint team to separate legal documents, which Nessel's office estimated that it could boost trial costs up to $90 million, depending, depending on how many documents there are. And in the press conference, uh, the prosecution team said that it would abide by that court ruling. So it appears as if the taxpayer cost of this trial is only going to increase. <sighs> and in the meantime, in the meantime, well, I, I, I guess what, what people are looking for is um, individuals to um, pay fines or go to jail for malfeasance on this. And uh, it doesn't look like we're any closer to that than we were before. Yeah, we're definitely running close to the statute of limitations on much of these charges. Okay. Well, uh, two stories ago, we talked about uh, John Mozina and uh, the work that he does uh, to expose, to to promulgate transparency when it comes to what the state gives to private industry. And uh, you filed a story today where Michigan taxpayers will be footing $951 million for two new electric vehicle battery plants. Those uh, two plants are, it's called, one is called Our Next Energy and the other is called Goshen Incorporated. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but the first company, uh, one for short, claims that it will create up to 2,112 jobs, uh, while Goshen says it will create up to 2,350. Our next energy is about two years old. It's based in Novi, and it's a battery storage company whose goal is to double the range of electric vehicles. So the Michigan Michigan Strategic Fund approved $236 million for the one project, uh, that's a combination of funds, and the Michigan Sub- Strategic Fund approved $715 million in taxpayer subsidies for Goshen. That's separated $125 million for a critical industry program grant, a uh, a 30-year designated renaissance zone to Mikasa County valued at $540 million, and a $50 million strategic site readiness program grant. The the one that stands out the most to me is the thirty year tax break. Um, oh, that, cats and that was just yeah. I can't imagine making a bet uh, in that long in the future, or to even have enough information. And uh, Mozina told me that uh, 
this isn't really new. He's told me that since the 1990s, Michigan has spent billions of dollars on job creation subsidies. But during that time, the state has still lost 185,000 manufacturing jobs. No kidding. Wow. Let's uh, flip the script here a little bit and talk a little bit about one of the things that um, I, I found I, I filed late last week, last Friday, after we had put to bed our podcast recording for last week. And that is uh, the gubernatorial candidate Republican is Tudor Dixon. And I was actually able to speak with her campaign and she has vowed that she would take on if elected. And right now she's not polling terribly well against uh, the incumbent governor Whitmer, but that she would actually take on the governor uh, as her, uh, well, she pledges to protect Line 5 from what she calls Whitmer's attacks. And this this is um, a very compelling story for many Michiganders because uh, the governor wants to close Line 5 and she wants to prohibit uh, removal of the pipeline. It's a dual pipeline that goes across the Straits of Mackinac. She does not want a, a the current pipeline to be removed to a underground tunnel that would be placed about 100 feet beneath the bedrock of the Straits of Mackinac. And a lot of people, including Jason Hayes, who is the environmental policy director at the Mackinac Center, uh, are left kind of scratching their head as to what how they will move the hydrocarbons that, that come through there each day and how is that going to impact such things such as uh, home heating that uh, you know, a lot of propane comes through there and uh, I've, I've tried calling uh, several environmental groups to get their uh, statements on this and they're not really uh, well they haven't got back to me Scott and that that's the long and short of it and uh, I've left many messages but anyway uh, this is what Dixon's campaign told me I oppose Gretchen Whitmer's endless attempts to disrupt line five. The pipeline provides propane to eat our homes, gasoline for our cars, jet fuel for the airport economy, diesel for our truckers, and starter chemicals for plastics production. It is too important to our economy for liberal radicals like Gretchen Whitmer to sabotage it. When I defeat her, line five will be safe from her attacks. But I also talked to uh, Jimmy Green, who is uh, the president of the Associated Builders and Contractors uh, uh, group. And he says that it isn't often that the laborers unions and associated builders and contractors agree on policy issues. In fact, it's a rarity, but we're completely aligned on line five and keeping it open. That governor Whitmer's position on shutting it down aligns two competing organizations is a reflection on how wrong she is on this issue. So there you have it. Uh, it's one of those things that uh, we'll probably be hearing more in the next four weeks before the election. So uh, 
stay tuned. There'll be more. And uh, let's close out with a, a story that you wrote on Detroit police may, may get a raise. What, what's that? All? It's up to $10,000. Pretty, pretty substantial. Do you think maybe we could talk to uh, the center square fellas that uh, control our paychecks and maybe Should definitely pitch it. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll leave that up to you because you're, you're far more charming than I am. I'll, uh, I'll start the letter after this podcast okay. for sure. All right. Sounds great. Sounds great. Well, tell us a little bit of what's happening in Detroit. So the Detroit Police Department might give up to $10,000 pay boosts that aim to fill 300 department vacancies and stem the tide of leaving officers. Detroit Mayor Mike Duggan said that the city and police unions reached a tentative collective bargaining agreement paid for by projected tax revenue. So that's uh, this isn't real money yet. It's projected money. The city said that it's lost about 72 officers in August and September, most of them leaving to suburban police departments. Uh, The proposal with the Detroit Police Officers Association would immediately increase starting officer pay by $10,000 from 43K to 53K. Uh, Pay for officers with four years on the force would increase by 13K from $60,000 to $73,000. And uh, the new provision, if enacted, uh, would also enact uh, allow the Detroit Police Department to recoup academy costs and allow lateral transfers. So before Detroit Police Department would recruit new candidates, they would go through the city would pay for them to go through six months of training, and often uh, the recruits would leave right after. So under the new provision, uh, if the city, if the new recruits leave after a certain amount of time, the city can recoup that cost. And the second, second provision would allow lateral transfers. I wasn't aware of this, but the Detroit police department previously has made even veteran officers go down to the initial starting pay grade if they moved in. So if, uh, if approved by the, if ratified and approved by the city council, there could be some pretty drastic changes coming. Okay, well, keep us posted on that because uh, we want to know that, uh, number one, we're being served and protected by law enforcement agencies, but also that our taxpayer dollars are being spent in a reasonable and rational fashion. And that's about all the time we have for this week on Michigan in Focus. I want to thank Scott McClellan for joining me today. Thanks for having me. You bet. And celebrating my birthday with me. So make sure to subscribe to Michigan in Focus wherever you get your podcast. And Scott and I will be back next week 